All right, and then we're back with another episode of Food in the Hood. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so we both sound differently. Off, we yes, we both sound very different, but for very different reasons.、Um, ben, you're in Denver, Colorado, right? Yes, I'm on the road for a conference. Yes, so he's in. A, are you in a hotel room? I am in my hotel room. Yes, he's recording in his hotel room, so he doesn't have his usual fancy mic with him. So he's gonna sound different. And me, on the other hand, I'm at home, but I have a cold slash flu slash I don't know bronchitis. Maybe who knows? <laughs> so、uh, that's why I sound different.、Um, your, so your, your voice band out there would be a little disappointed. Yeah. So Ben told me that apparently he has a friend who really likes my voice. Sorry, Ben's fan. I mean Ben's <laughs> friend, who's my fan. <laughs> You're gonna be a little bit disappointed this week. Um, but we have some great content coming up.、Um, today's topic is actually about design thinking, which is sort of a little bit out of the usual realm of food science or even science itself.、Um, but when Ben brought this topic up to me when we were brainstorming a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was really intriguing. So, do you kind of want to tell people how you came upon the idea? Right, and.、Um... You know, full context in terms of、uh, preparation, right? This is one of the topics that we actually prepared. <laughs> We're gonna really, sound so irresponsible and unprepared. Yeah, it was. You know, the, the, the take of this podcast is very lighthearted,、um, mm-hmm. but、uh, and it, there are a lot of、um, impromptu thinking going into this. Yeah, yeah, we're not a super prepared podcast. It's more like two people having a conversation, and this is more like our first off impression and things of topics, right? Yeah, it's more like, like a, a coffee chat, right?、Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, we're not like a Wikipedia article, so this is not the place <laughs> for it. <laughs> yeah, so、um, a, a bit of a background story here about design thinking. And how I try to connect this to、uh, our professions in food science was that、um, you, you know always people are saying that you know classically there is science and there's arts, right? So、uh, you you get the classic physics, chemistry, biology is one branch of knowledge development, and you have arts, you know,、um, in a different way of expression, humanities, and、um, discover ourselves. But then a third aspect got slapped onto this is uh, uh, design thinking, right? Design.、But、design doesn't quite go into science, and is not a pure form of art because a lot of designs are functional, and functional serves a purpose that's beyond just、um, sort of the self-expression from the fine art perspective. Right. It's not just like a Picasso painting that sits there, right? It has to do something and be functional. Exactly, and this is what we are trying to get into here. Some of the initial exposure of design thinking came from, you know,、uh, another podcast that I listened to. It's、uh, not so standard deviation by Roger Payne. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty well known by now that Ben is a huge fan of Roger Payne. So yeah, Roger so- Payne, if you're ever listening. <laughs> Yeah, right. So he's a, a biostatistician professor in Johns Hopkins University. Does a lot of these outreach stuff and trying to, you know, discuss data science. Also, even a 
younger emerging field than food science. Right, and, right. Um, uh, so he and his co-host Hilary Parker uh, discussed a、uh, a series of episodes on design thinking based on a book by、uh, Nigel Cross. I think the book is、mm-hmm. just called Principle of Design Thinking or something.、Mm-hmm. So what they 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 stamp stamp upon was you know design thinking focused on a lot of problem solving and the design elements. In our day-to-day life, sometimes gets ignored, and、mm-hmm. uh, people are not trying to teach design thinking as much as、uh, compared to you know the traditional education in arts and science. Right, right, and I think it's also、um, interesting to think about it in the context of food and food science because food science is a discipline that is very close to the consumer, right? Like、mm-hmm. food is very intimate, and everybody eats food. So, in that sense,、um, when we talk about design thinking, a lot of people say that it's very human centric.、Um, and I think in food science, it's 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 a very human centric field, right? We're designing things that we're not designing for businesses necessarily. A lot of times, we're designing for like the individual consumer, the average family, etc. So, I think design thinking is sometimes I feel like compared to other fields, design thinking is pretty employed in the food science world. Right. Yeah. So that's you know another thing kind of started our conversation with design thinking in food. Is、um, oftentimes we see job titles as you know product developers and people are working in new product development in you know food companies overall.、Mm-hmm. Rarely do you see a job、um, entitled food designer or product designer in food companies. Uh, there are less of those titles. I, I know、right. there, in terms of terminologies, at least in some other tech fields, for example, web designer versus web developer could mean you know front end versus back end, right? The designer is focusing more of the layout, the all of the、um, user experiences, and、um, the developer focuses on the back end, the quote unquote hardcore programming to make the functionalities. Kind of similar. Web developers are essentially a lot of food developers who are doing work with、um, exploring ingredient interactions, processing parameters, and some of the sensor、uh, associated sensory effects. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think maybe before we dive super deep, it might be nice to kind of talk about what design thinking refers to for people who aren't familiar with it yet. Yes. So I can. Probably just talk a little bit. I mean, it's it's not an expertise of mine, or you know, I, I'm I'm also kind of scratching the surface of what it is. Right, right.、Um, but really, it is.、Um, it focuses a lot on creativity and problem solving. Right.、Um, so, so really, what it narrows down to is that design thinking、uh, focuses on asking the correct question. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of times, there are,、uh, you know, we we tend to forget some of、uh, the larger system or larger organizations that we're in, and how you know one decision would be able to impact other decisions, and how everything is under a single system, well, whether it's well defined or sometimes poorly defined. 
Right, right, right. right. So then, all the overall effects of design thinking is try to remind people that、uh, you're living in the system and you're thinking about beyond just to solve an obvious problem, but、um, to design a, a system approach. That、uh, centers humans,、uh, focuses on experiences, and ultimately both ask a valid question or、uh, ask a、uh, find a va- valid problem and、mm-hmm. design a way to solve it. Right, and you know, so I I completely agree with what Ben just said. And actually, when he first described it to me, I was kind of lost because I think design thinking seems like a very abstract. Concept, right? Is is you know, is just designing. Like, what what is the difference between design thinking and other ways of thinking or other ways of problem solving? And I think that one、um, one very small example that really helped me understand it. I think this was from IDEO, or it could have been some other website. But、um, well, this is this is just an example of design thinking in process, right? I think someone was saying that the the example they gave was that、um, there's this service for elderly people who don't get enough nutrition.、Uh, basically, there's a kitchen who cooks up these amazing meals and delivers it to elderly people and immobile people who need that nutrition and who need that food, but maybe can't prepare a whole meal by themselves or have trouble doing that. And、um, they were noticing that these people weren't. Really liking their meals, they weren't eating the meals properly, which is a problem, because then you know it's malnourishment, right? Yes. And I think the the way that people will naturally or is instinctively think about such a problem might be like, oh, maybe the meals are not nutritious enough, or、uh, maybe it's not what、uh, it's not the type of cuisine or the type of meal that these. Old people, elderly people like to eat, etc. But the team that went in to sh- try to solve this problem, they applied design thinking, and through that process, the very first thing they did that Ben mentioned was that try to understand how the whole system works first before solving the problem. So the problem of people not eating is not because the food was necessarily bad tasting or anything, but one one thing that was apparent was that the menu didn't look appetizing. So, like you know, for instance, if you say something like boiled cabbage, that doesn't sound very appetizing, does it? But if you say something like cabbage drizzled with I don't know a demi glaze of brown <laughs>、yeah. sauce or whatever, people are gonna be like. Oh, that's really interesting. I might try that. So throughout this design process, they found out that the way that you word these things on the menu、um, really affected the options that they pick to eat, that the elderly pick to eat, right? And giving ownership of the menu design to the chefs who made these food items also brought a closer sense of connection between the chefs and the elderly. And encourage communication between these two parties、um, in a way that really made the program work much better. 
So I think that when I heard about that story, I was kind of like, oh, okay, I can kind of see what it's like. Like through that story, I could kind of see like the different principles of design thinking in action, such as mm-hmm. like problem finding, problem framing, framing something correctly so that you're solving the actual root of the problem instead of what you think the problem is. And then right, another right. thing that stood out to me is that instead of giving like a final solution, it was sort of a Kaizen principle where they would prototype a solution mm-hmm. and then like continually add on to it and continually make changes. So in the process of doing, they learn what worked best. And I think those are two of the biggest things that I take away from design thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this is a iterative process, right? You don't have a definitive answer. You you might have a satisfactory answer for your uh, for the moment, but mm-hmm. there are always room to improve and always new things to take account for. So it's right, kind of right, building right. a dynamic system. You, you you know this sounds a lot of like product development. It does. Right? It kind of um, does, doesn't it? At least the second part of you know a lot of these um, food product development relies on iterations relies on prototyping and there's constant readjustments of a right. market product that is right, not right, right. Um, you know it, it's not static mm-hmm. uh, people are cautious about changes but they they can still happen and they sometimes do have a, a great impact right yeah and i think <laughs> but, go on yeah but what i think is lacking or is not hundred percent in alignment with design thinking is 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 the earlier part right is is the ideation or the mm. uh, so-called um, problem defining stage right? right what exactly are we here to solve um, mm-hmm. and I since we just did the episodes on plant-based meat and I was you know uh, I think our previous conversation also we mentioned how Beyond meat as a company or plant-based protein used as meat alternative, this idea is a ground-up approach to solve a bigger problem in the food chain. Right, right. right. They're they're not trying to design another item that's out on the grocery aisle just for the sake of short-term per se or some type of, you know, non-system integrating um, aspects. Mm-hmm. Right, so right. they're really trying to plug in its own domain into the overall food system. Right, right. It's not simply, it's not, it's not simply going to Mintel, seeing what consumers like, and then trying to come up with a product that would, um, you know, oh, millennials might like this. Like, of course, millennials, a lot of millennials do like plant-based meat, but I agree in a sense that it is a vehicle for solving a bigger problem. Like, it is sort of a symbol it's kind of symbolic in that sense that um yeah it's solving a bigger food system issue and using actually a product one approach right they took a systematic approach and integrated sustainability or environmental factors into right, right. this uh, designing component of food uh I, I mean a lot of these could you can draw a lot of these similar parallels into the quote-unquote healthy market, right? The mm-hmm. the, the, um, the health-cautious 
audience or consumers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but how well did you really define the problem? Relating to these big pictures can be a double-sided sword, right? Sometimes it's so easy to, to get comfortable and just relate it to one thing. For example, right. um, you know, organic foods or something that's really unpopular or just need another version, some fine-tuning of the mm-hmm. um, an existing concept that mm-hmm. supposedly to help uh, improve human health. Right, right, right. But but you, you really have to shape it. So the nuances are there. And it's not just, you know, getting a big picture, but it's also to well define your own idea, to shape mm-hmm. it in a way that actually serves a bigger purpose. Right. And I think that's very mm-hmm. difficult to do, to come up with, to really identify a gap and make something out of it that is not just a band-aid solution and that is not like it's a very grand goal it is right? yeah and it this is. and that's why i think a lot of these are challenging because people or group of people have limitations they can only do so much in terms of designing a product right and this really takes so that's why i think you know a lot of these uh part of the reason might be hindering Design thinking was that they, they 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 were not popularized among the real decision makers or or in an organizational level. Mm, I I can kind of see what you mean. I think that when you know when food product developers work on a product, the decision to work on a new product or make iterative changes, you know, like you said, is top down. And usually it involves, in the past at least, things might be changing a little bit now, but for a long time, it has always been, oh, how about we make a version of this that's 40% less sodium or 20% less fat? Uh, or like, you know, let's make this Cheerios gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's very... It's very one-sided. Right now, what companies like Beyond Meat has done is solve multiple problems. I wouldn't want to say solve, but try to tackle multiple problems with a product, right? Mm-hmm. Like what consu- consumers nowadays, they don't just want low-fat this or um, low-fat that. They want something that is healthy, nutritious, but also affordable, but also sustainable, but also has packaging that's degradable. You know, there's like, there's a lot of consumer desires wrapped up into something. And and really what's the real, sort of the realization process of a person that gets the complexity of designing such food products is really at the frontier. Right. Right. So so this this is just an application of design thinking by itself because the more complex you're taking elements from different aspects into your designing process or development process um mm-hmm. you are uh you're more likely to hit the target audience or to to, to become a successful um, Do you mean taking inspiration from many sources outside of food science yes yes and, and you you really have to think beyond just food right and again in the ideation step to think about what's needed what's out there and how much control do you have so this is you know both idealistic and needs to also somewhat being realistic on what 
exactly could be do or could be done for 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 a given amount of scope. Right. Right. So this is the tricky part of uh, of especially in the food world because mm -hmm. you you know it's there's a lot of large companies, lots of um, granularities or um, in another word would just be bureaucracies, right? Yeah. To, to go yeah. over a lot of these layers and inter interdepartmental uh, collaborations really is required for design thinking to happen at a company setting. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so this is just also, I think, a lot of it goes into what you really want to achieve. And, right, um, right. Because we, I think, as food scientists, there are enough tools, or people have been primarily focusing on the tools that can capture uh, or or to tackle all these problems, capture client consumer needs. Um, but who defines the need is more of a larger question, right? Who can discover the next need requires a lot right. of design thinking. Right. Like, I think people knew that people wanted plant-based foods, but someone who also realized that people will want plant-based foods are not just people who are vegans, but also normal, regular folks who like meat, but maybe don't mind um, eating alternative meats two days out of seven. Like, someone who could identify those needs. Yeah, that's right. Not, that's not, you know readily apparent and mm. combining it with the R&D and the science part of it to create something that's, but hey, they, they made that's, it. that's right. sort of the golden the golden part of it like joining all of these things together so they having had a the science concept. part right they right right concept. and they had the technology right to achieve that. when you know when these they're essentially you know biotech startups yeah. Right. Like, let's just take the two big heads beyond yeah. an impossible. They're, they're, they're biotech startups. And when they need right. to present to investors, venture capitalists, they need a concept and a product, right? So concept goes into how it's originated and how they envision them in the future, right? But you need a damn product, which is a good tasting plant-based patty right. to really right. convince people that this is the thing. Yeah, and you're, you're I think that's also that's also what's difficult. The people who are really, really good at doing groundbreaking science are sometimes sort of disconnected from people up top who make decisions. People who decide what products they want to fund and what products they want to pitch to investors, those people sometimes don't have the necessary fundamental science background to realize what is possible and what is not possible. And on yeah. the flip side, you have great scientists who have amazing, brilliant minds who do great science. But joining those two things together, I think, is what's difficult, right? And yes. I think that really highlights the whole, you know, everyone talks about collaboration these days. But, like, collaboration, I think about, think about if you're a scientist, if you're an R&D scientist, in an organization, right? Let's say an organization has 20 R&D scientists. Like, I wonder how far removed are they from the decision-making people? A lot, I feel a lot of scientific people, me included, 
we're sort of given things to solve or we seek out problems to solve, but then we sort of get tunnel vision Mm -hmm. and we're very focused on solving that one specific thing. But what design thinking requires sometimes is to be able to step out from your box and kind of go up, look at everything from a bird eyes view and, you know, connect different disciplines together that doesn't, you know, these connections are not readily apparent. But we have to be able to see them from further away. Totally. Right? Yeah, because what I think is very, very, very fascinating is how design thinking is a lot of easier to pro to to apply or more approachable when you're in a either a small group, very flexible, uh, mobile group, or it's a top-down approach from senior executives. Right, right. right and, the way uh, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, go on. And to be honest, another thing is applying design thinking for a big organization could be risky. Right. Right. It doesn't have a foreseeable ending mm. per se. Right. So we, you can <laughs> like you can set some constraints onto your design thinking process. For example, I'm only going to give three months of ideation process to come up with what I think is the best representative problem in this domain, whatever that I'm interested in, and you move on to the next stage, that's okay. But still, whatever you thought about might not be the real thing, right? You put in a context of design thinking overall. It doesn't have to be that particular thing that you're trying to solve. So it has a lot of uncertainties, and that creates a lot of quote-unquote frictions really um, move ideas forward and into actual um, deliverables, right? Whatever the deliverable Mm. is. I think that's very interesting what you mentioned about um, in small groups is more flexible and fluid for design thinking to happen and how in bigger companies it might not, it might, it might be something that happens more at the top. Right. Just the mm-hmm. nature of being in a big company, people are going to be pigeonhole into more specific roles. Right. Yeah, and I exactly. Think that it's hard to, let's say, <laughs> I hate to use this example, but you're, you're bought from accounting. You're in a firm where there's 10,000 people and you're bought from accounting. <laughs> and the accounting department has like, let's say, I don't know, 300 people. But the only thing you're in charge of is, um, I don't know, like one very specific thing. Because yeah, I've seen that happen. Right. You know, I talk to people. I talk to people in HR. Like an HR person at a small company does a lot. An HR person in a big company, there's people in like, you know, there's HR people who literally only do one thing. Yeah, or two right, things. right, right. And so this is what so, I think is very interesting. Right. I think that's probably why, you know, that's probably why big food companies might have problem innovating. Because like you said, first of all, it's it's more pigeonhole into their specific roles. People are more pigeonholed. And second of all, like you said, there's friction against change. There's more bureaucratic red tape, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're in a small office 
and like people who do the designing, people who do ensure food quality and safety. If everyone sits in the same office, it's a lot easier to be just like, hey, hey, Jane, I have this crazy idea. And then like just talk about it just for fun. And people can add their own input, right? It's yeah. a lot harder to have that sort of natural flow of brainstorming and um, conversation. Right. And, and it, you know, a lot of times it's also you know, in a large organization or doesn't mean that it, it hasn't happened. It probably has. And it's probably happening every day in multiple sectors in, in our world. Mm-hmm. Right. So particularly to food, I, I don't think we're lack of ideas, but it's also how big or how realistic these ideas are. Mm-hmm. Um, there are multiple factors that needs to be taken account to figure out probably the optimal solution right right so or the, the most viable most attainable um question to ask per se right because you have a lot of things that were just you can't just be a generalist right trying to think about only the big pictures and trying to be totally visionary without considering your own constraints or limitations right we talked about this we talked about being a t-shaped person right yeah did we i think we talked about it in one of our episodes Mm -hmm. how you want to have broad you know sort of a broad range of you know you know you want to know what's going on on a broader level across everything but you also want to have a very um specific skill that is you're, that you're very proficient at, that if someone's like, oh, I need help with why, I know just the person for it. Yeah, right. right. And um, I think uh, this also goes into a lot of scientific research, right? As I was thinking, you know, design thinking really would uh, stimulate or, you know, principles of design thinking. People have been applying them a lot into, for example, scientific grant writings, Right, they, they, you, you have you have amazing ideas or very uh, cutting edge ideas um, that are out there in a lot of grant proposals. But um, another discussion that normally happening nowadays is, is because of the lack of fundings in um, grant funding agencies or various agencies in government and other private sectors. Pe- people are not as bold. Right, they don't want to fund these type of out of the box ideas because they're risky. And mm-hmm. if you're running a grant agency as a company, you also want to focus on some kind of measurement of return on investment. Right, right, right. So for a big company, you're saying that if I someone, you know, if one of my employees has this crazy idea that's gonna take two million dollars, it doesn't make sense for me to fund that instead of a well established product that I know is gonna have a high ROI. Yeah. And I think exactly. that's why that's why those sort of projects don't happen at big companies. Those sort of projects like Beyond Meat. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we I feel like we're really them. selling Beyond Meat here. I think right. they should start paying us. <laughs> uh, but and those sort of ideas is easier for them to survive in a startup agency and then eventually get funded by you know investors and whatnot. Yeah. What I just want to add here is that you only see those who made it. Right. There are right. Many, Tons many that don't make it. Yeah, that don't make it. 
and there are multiple factors more than just application of design thinking in their journey that could make an impact. Right, right, right. Sound like we're we're talking a lot about the big stuff and not、um, considering the the reality per se, but、mm. uh, that's not quite the whole point here. Especially in foods, I think this might lead into our next episode. Discuss some of the actual potential actionable items in、uh, apply the design thinking into、uh, food product development. Right? How can we take an idea, or how can we come up with an idea that can actually be used, or、uh, to,、uh, to to extend that as to how how to teach the next generation food scientists to both have an excellent technical skill background and also have enough design thinking abilities or problem solving abilities that can help them to really、uh, take on big challenges. Right, it's hard. <laughs> It is really hard. Yeah, this is this、it's、is、hard. you know, this is one of those topics. Really, is great to talk about, but it's really difficult、yeah. to.、Practice. Very hard to execute. We're, we're、right. very good at we're very good at sitting on our butts and talking about it. <laughs> yeah, right. But I think I think it is important to think about though.、Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, and keep in mind of these. So in this episode, I'll include some links. I think a good article from、uh, MIT review、uh, that we shared with each other.、Uh, yeah, and yeah.、Um, probably we can include some、um, the link to、uh, Nigel Cross's book if you're、mm-hmm. interested in really dive into it. Right. And, right.、Um, yeah, I mean, next episode we're just gonna be as organic as possible to talk about、yeah. how you know、uh, this kind of looking back. What we could have known to help us in the food education process, food science education process, to help us define problems better and do you you, you know making more wholesome training process for、mm-hmm. for future food scientists. Yeah. Well, is that it for today? Yeah, I think is that a wrap. That's a wrap.